Ladies and gentlemen, how do you are listening to the Synapse Films Podcast, a journey into the world of Synapse Films. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Susie Banyan decided to perfect her ballet studies in the most famous school of dance in Europe. The killer is coming. The killer's gonna get you. I'm just crazy about this store. I've been expecting you. You thought by your name was a heavy metal band. <laughs> Don't drink my flavor. Welcome to the Synapse Films Podcast. I am Timo Sabin. Some folks in the horror community know me as Timo. I will be your host on this journey into all things Synapse Films. Greetings, friends, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. On this episode, we'll be welcoming back Synapse Films team member and road crew extraordinaire, rock and rollson himself, Mr. Ryan Olson. Ryan and I have an in-depth movie nerd discussion about the Synapse Films recent release of Jeff Lieberman's Satan's Little Helper. Quick little warning, the discussion is full of spoilers. We try to be as gentle about them as we can, but they are definitely there while we are discussing the film. Now, normally we start off every episode checking in with Synapse Films co-owner and my good pal, Mr. Jerry Chandler. Unfortunately, due to a big ice storm that hit the Detroit area right when I was recording this episode, neither Jerry nor Noah were able to record for this episode. But I thought I would play a conversation that Jerry and I had on my old podcast. Uh, In this conversation, we discuss the indie titles here at Synapse Films. And it's a subject that we haven't covered enough here, I don't think, on the podcast. And it was actually a subject that I was going to ask Jerry about on this episode. So I thought, well, since Jerry can't be here, I will just play an older conversation that Jerry and I had about the indie title. So first up, we will have Jerry Chandler, even though it's a a past Jerry Chandler, not a present Jerry Chandler, discussing uh, some of the indie titles here at Synapse Films. So join me in my quantum mechanics experiment as we listen to Jerry from the past uh, discussing these indie titles. But before we get to that, I'd like to remind everyone up on the SynapseFilms.com website and at Diabolic DVD, there is a slipcover exclusive release of the film Invaluable, the true story of an epic artist. This is a documentary about Tom Sullivan, who was the special effects wizard on the original Evil Dead film. Again, go to synapsefilms.com or Diabolic DVD to find copies of Invaluable. Also wanted to remind everyone, uh, we have some conventions coming up that Synapse will be at. Uh, Let's see here, March 3rd and 5th. Now, by the time this episode is released, it might be either just past this or right on top of these dates. But just still wanted to mention that Astronomicon will be going on in Detroit. And Synapse will have a table there. March 24th through 26th, Horror Hounds Cincinnati 
we will be attending that. March 31st to April 2nd, Cinema Wasteland, as always. We will have a presence there. And then uh, April 14th through 16th, Motor City Legacy in Romulus, Michigan, just outside Detroit as well. Uh, come and see Synapse Films at these shows, and we'll have some more coming up later this year as well. But that's what we have coming up for right now. And now, step into my time machine. And let's listen to my conversation with Jerry about the indie titles here at Synapse Films. What I really like, and and people don't buy these titles, and I think it's because they've gotten burned, because for every 1,000 indie films, 999.7 suck but occasionally you have a brilliant film and even though we know we're going to lose money on it we grab them and put them out because at the very I remember sitting on my couch in my basement talking to Don and saying well for our new company all we should do is we should find the greatest indies and put those out because they're movies that young people have made, no one's ever seen. We'll find the great ones, and it'll give people a chance to break into Hollywood. You know, directors and stuff. Young. Well, that lasted about a minute when we put out our first couple of indies and no one bought it. So it's like, okay, let's do catalog titles. But those indies, I mean, we know that unless they're absolutely phenomenal, we can't put them out because we're going to lose money. So we put out these absolutely phenomenal indies. And if you see an indie in our catalog and it's, I would recommend that to buy because that's a movie your loved one has never heard of. That's going to be just blow them away. Well, yeah, no, we've actually, we started talking about a little bit because I had watched uh, some stuff. You got me. So the ones that, that I have recently seen are worm. So that's one of them. So if you want to talk about worm for a minute, The thing I would want everybody to know about Worm is the person who made the movie didn't write a script. What he did was he'd pull the actors into the area where the scene was going to be shot, and he'd talk about what he wanted in the scene, and then he'd leave it to them. All the lines in the movie are improvised, all of them. And uh, I also love the way the film starts off so light and happy, almost like it's going to be a comedy. And as the movie progresses, it gets more and more serious. It's a drama territory. And then at a certain point, it turns pitch black into horror. And it's a great little movie. I mean, I, you know, my biggest peeve, my biggest peeve with Indies, and I get a sense an awful lot of them is with crappy endings. You know, there's a saying in Hollywood, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. And what that means is, you know, the story has to be right. It's got to be a good story. And that means it can't be a good story with a terrible ending. It's got to be good all the way around. And a lot of times these young folk think about it for a long period of time and they cannot figure out how to end their film in a satisfying way. So they put it off. Never put anything like that off. 
never just end it, never just crap, grab the ending that it's the best you could think of. Just don't even bother starting. Wait till your, your pre-work is complete. Look at, look at that ending on Worm. It, it was perfect. Very well done. It's some real, real horror, people. It's a great movie. You're not going to be bored, and uh, you're going to think you got your money's worth. Trust me, it's a new spin. And how many times can you say that? I haven't seen a movie quite like Worm before. Well, another interesting one I saw was South of Heaven. Again, look at the stars in South of Heaven. That's what caught our attention, first of all. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Shea Wiggum is the star. You got Deora Baird. Well, this Deora Baird right after her in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. So the movie is, it cannot be pigeonholed. It's unique, both its color, coloring. It's like a pastel movie. The scenes, the scenery, the way it was shot. It's almost like a Lars von Trier's movie. It's, it's just so cool, but yeah, I can honestly tell you, we probably didn't sell a hundred units of that movie. I would consider it. I call them Odyssey movies, where mm -hmm. you just just go. <laughs> Anything can happen. It could go to a comedy, to a horror, to an action, anything. You're, it's like it's like buckle up. Here we go. You know, and then yep. and then just let it go and yep. let it let it let it unfold. Let the onion peels unfold in front of you. You know, basically, it's yeah. definitely that kind of movie. I that movie, if I'm comparing it to a well-known film, sort of a Pulp Fiction esque type of thing, where it's an odyssey. It is a things are happening sometimes in spite of each other, and at the same time, and they are converging on each other in interesting ways. And that's the kind of movie to me, South of Heaven is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good one, and those people who made it were very gracious. They saw our enthusiasm and they let us release it. And it's just heartbreaking that I was never able to send them any money because <laughs> didn't make any money. But that's another one that people should seek out. If you, if you're tired of the same old, same old, it does have a plot you can follow. It's somewhat linear. It's not like one of those. I mean, we've all seen them. Movies where you just can't, can never figure out during the course of the film exactly what's happening at all. Yeah, yeah. Almost like a movie that should have been an anthology movie, but instead they just kind of paste it all together to keep you off your toes right. in a way. Yeah, it's, it's definitely right. got more than that. Another one that I think is pretty interesting that I'd be a little surprised if, if this one wasn't moving a little bit is Life and Death of a Porno Gang. Well, that movie did sell okay and I think part of it was because before he died Roger Ebert wrote about it in his column in the Chicago Sun-Times and said while it's very violent and we'll call it risque it's an amazingly great movie and again that one gets compared a lot to a, a, a Serbian film mm -hmm. because they're both made by Serbians who are making films that are really supposed to talk about what life is like in Serbia today. And whereas I did not like Serbian film at all because mm -hmm. it's shocking scenes to me were not very shocking. Um, a baby scene, you could tell it was a plastic doll. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, not that I would have preferred a real baby. No, I understand. Quick, <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. You know, that was not, you know, I, the, that, the, that movie was very distasteful. But mm -hmm. what I really disliked about it 
was at the, the when the actor and the the director are talking at that table, and the actor or the director starts talking about his motivation for why he's doing what he's doing, he came off as completely insane, which to me took all the power out of the film, because if you look at a movie like Hostel, what's making it so awful is the fact that these people are are killing and torturing and setting up these kids to be tortured and killed strictly for money, not because they're crazy, but something as basic as money. And there's nothing you will ever be able to do to talk your way out of it because all they care about is the money. There's no humanity left in them at all. I find that concept incredibly horrifying. And it was taken away because this director wasn't doing it for the money. He was doing it for his insane vision. So I didn't like a Serbian film. Now you look at uh, Mladen's uh, film, Life and Death of a Porno Game, came out at roughly the same time and was almost kind of the same subject matter. Um, a, a, a kid is shooting porn for the Serbian mafia. They give him a bunch of money. And instead of making a porn film, he decides to do an art film. And he turns it in and he says, look how great this is. And they said, you spend our money on this. We can't sell this. You have like a week to, to bring us the porn film we paid you for, or you're dead. And everybody you know is dead. And your family is dead. And everybody's dead. So now he's got no money to shoot the porn film with. So he grabs up his, his troop of actors, and they decide to try and escape to the countryside. And it goes straight. In a sense, it's like Worm, where it starts off like that. But it gets gradually darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. It, the darkness starts early in Life and Death of a Porno Gang, and it gets very, very deep shade of black. Um, without ruining the plot for your people, I, I, I gave only the, the, the beginning, the, almost like the prologue to the film. I, I, explained um, it, I explained it in this way. It is in the Serbian film Family. It didn't feel to me like either movie knew the other one existed. So it wasn't like there was a ripoff going on. It, it looked like to me like these two movies, like you said, it's similar subject matter uh, and were taking place in a similar world. But I felt like Serbian film was slicker and where life or death of a porno gang was more of a cinema verite type of thing where it, you floated back and forth between is this a camera coup following this guy? And then it would kind of like kind of slyly kind of move over to just more of a handheld feel. And then it would kind of slyly move back and forth. So the techniques and the filmmaking are drastically different. And the look of the two films are drastically different where Serbian film is more of a fantasy type of thing and a, Slickness, yeah. yeah, and then the life. That, of the, yeah, part of that. Them, part of that is budgetary. The people who made Serbian film had a little money behind them, and Maladin didn't. Mm -hmm. If anybody's in, interested in the subject matter, and I mean really interested in life and death of a porno gang, I would implore you to spend the extra five bucks and buy the Blu-ray versus the DVD because the Blu-ray has a one-hour documentary that the same director shot on the Serbian porn industry, which is basically what both movies were about. The, the uh, documentary actually sticks right in your face the similarities between Life and Death of a Porno Gang and the real world in Serbia. 
it just shows you, look, my movie is fiction, but it's not really fiction. This is what life is like. You can't really say that about a Serbian film. Right. Um, talk, I know you want to talk about this movie, so I, I want to ask you about it. And it was the last one that I watched of some of the stuff you sent me, and that was Undertaker. Ah, should I tell the story? Go ahead. Don and I, I don't know if you guys remember in the, the era of shows, there was a show called Fright, I think it was called, wasn't it called Fright Night Film Fest in yes. Louisville? And this was their their beginning when they were just starting out. And we go down to Louisville in the middle of the summer, and it's about 400 degrees. It's uh, like it was, having a show on the surface of the sun. <laughs> was that the one where the air conditioner was out in the hotel? <laughs> well, not just that, but they had us all in the giant tent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, and, yeah. And it was literally 160 degrees, yeah, yeah. and they had these big fans, and it's like, I don't know if you bake or your wife bakes, but you know how your oven has a fan inside yes. it? Yeah, yeah. And if she preheats the oven to, to 460, and you climb inside, how much help do you think that fan's going to do you? <laughs> it's blowing fire at your face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so okay, you basically so just sat there. in a grain silo in the middle of summer, right? Yeah, <laughs> for all you we're, Midwesterners we're out there. there. Yeah, <laughs> Don and I are literally melting. Okay, where it was, it was so bad, and we're just sitting there. And of course, nobody, any fan that walks into that tent turns around and walks right out. You know, not even bothering to look because you can't penetrate the heat. It was almost solid. So up walks this tall, skinny kid, and he's clearly Japanese. And my my brother's wife is Japanese, and mm-hmm. they go to Japan to visit her family every year, two or three times a year. So he always talks about how hot Japan is all year round. Mm-hmm. So I thought, no wonder why this guy's walking from table to table. This is normal for him. He's not <laughs> even warm, right? <laughs> right, right? And he comes up uh, and he says he sees all the discs, and he looks and he says, "Are you Synapse Films?" And I go, "Yeah, hi, I'm Synapse." And he gets like he's, oh, I go, "Well, what is it? What's up?" <laughs> he goes, "I came from Japan to this show, hoping you would be here." And I thought, "Well, this is very unusual." Sure. I mean, it's a phone. Right. We have a number that's listed. How could a guy take a chance to come to the U.S. hoping I'll be at a show? I said, well, how can I help you? Here I am. Well, what can I do for you? He goes, I'm a filmmaker, and I made a movie, and I was wondering if you'd be kind enough to watch it. Said, of course. What are you kidding? Especially because you came all the way to Japan to hand me a movie? Absolutely, I'll watch it. And I take it. And we talk for a little while, and off he goes. So the show ends, and I go upstairs to my room. Don and I go out to dinner. We come back. I mean, there weren't many people at that show. It was the first or second one he had. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing to do. I'm sitting in the hotel room, and it's like 8, 9 o'clock at night. we got to get up early for the show tomorrow, so I'm not going to go see Louisville. Right. Yeah. Oh, all right, let me grab that desk and throw it on there. And you've seen the opening scene of that desk with the two little kids. Mm-hmm. 
I was hooked. Like, oh my God, these little kid actors are amazing. You know, I'm, I'm getting scared. This is awesome. So the movie isn't super long. It's only about 65, 70 minutes, something like that. And I start watching and oh my God, this is it. This is somebody actually creating a new spin on the zombies. And yet they're still zombies. They're still rotting people coming back to life and eating the living. And yet it's something I've never seen before. Oh my God, this is so cool. So I saw the guy the next day. I go, I go now. His, his name is now N A O. But now, now he comes over. I go, Oh my God, this movie is great. I love this movie. I love your film. It hit on every level. He didn't have any money. He made an amazing movie for $7,000. Amazing. You didn't, couldn't tell it was $7,000. What did he spend it on? What can you get for $7,000? Right. It's it a lot of crazy. makeup, too. Those zombies were not just, wasn't just like somebody put some, like, you know, powdery paint on their faces. Those were extensive corpses. There you go. So, yeah. so you got the budget is non existent, but the movie is great. The story was amazing from beginning to end. The ending couldn't have been any more perfect. The acting from the little kids to the old people were, was amazing. You just couldn't get any better than that. The script, there was no script, really. But what little, what little dialogue there was was perfect. Every time I see that movie, I cry at the end. So it reached into me and touched my heart. You know, how often does that happen? Right, right. Um, I loved everything about that movie. And yeah, folks out there, if you're listening, you get a zombie film, but you get a new spin on the zombie film. It doesn't take away zombies from what, you know. Well, and it treats... It, it treats you like you've seen zombie films before, so it doesn't bother with the fat. It doesn't bother with, oh, is that person getting back up? They were dead. How yeah, could this yeah, be happening? Yeah, no, yeah. they, they, almost like a vampire movie where they're like, we, we get it. We get it. There's been a hundred years of vampire movies. It's a vampire. Here you go. So that's a, I yeah. like that. That to me is cool. Unless you're going to have a brand new type of creature. I, that's my favorite type of movie, actually, where you have a brand new type of creature and the characters are learning about the creature throughout the film. That's me, like Alien. This movie, though, is like the flip side of that, where it's like, okay, so if you're going to give me, I don't know, like a werewolf, or if you're going to give me something that is more of a standard monster, at least treat me like I've been here before. Then you know that you're you're in the hands of someone who's been there before themselves. But not, you know, there's also something else, Tim. This movie starts during the quote-unquote zombie apocalypse. It lasts for all of the first 10 minutes. Then it's about 22 years later where you're in this dystopian world. The zombies have come. They're here. You know, the humans have, have exercised some sort of control over them because there's pockets of humanity. It's not that they're sitting behind guarded walls like the Walking Dead and the zombies are constantly trying to break in. 
it's evolved to the point where those zombies are where they are. You know, society's falling apart, but there's these villages and whatever. They're not being constantly threatened. So now there's a new concern. Now that we have time to breathe, we have some safety from the zombies. What's What concern comes to mind? Like, you know, look, I have a bad back. But I also have another problem that causes me even greater pain. And when I, when that problem is acting up and that pain is there, I don't feel my back anymore. So when that pain goes away, then your body has the luxury to say, well, okay, what else can I piss and moan about? So the, 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 the constant threat of zombies eating you alive is no longer really there. So what is the next thing you think about? And that's what Undertaker is all about. The Undertaker is a person. It's his, the name of his job. But it's not what an Undertaker does in our time. It's what an Undertaker does in his time. The time 22 years or whatever after Zombies Rise. And uh, like I said, if you take it on that basis and you get away, there's a little bit of CGI because he did a creative thing in there as to what's happening with the zombies. Yeah, but you know, you. But it, 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 I'm telling you, for somebody who didn't didn't have the experience of the movie, you did that. Just had it from watching it after you sent it. That I that didn't bother me at all. Like the it almost made sense that it looked that the CG and it looks a little synthetic yet symbolic, and I think it works. I think it works yeah. in it. I don't know if I would have. I would have actually got it as much if it would have been real. Such a beautiful movie. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful little movie for a zombie film. So anyways, so at the end of the day, this is the one we knew we weren't going to make any money. It's got no stars. It's got no buzz. You know, it's not the famous Japanese zombie movies like Junk or whatever those other ones were. So we knew it wasn't going to sell. But there's no way that you go into this business with the idea of bringing amazing movies to people who have zero chance of ever seeing them on their own and not put this movie out. You have to, even if you're going to lose money. Thank God we had some to spare. So here's the story. He's got no artwork for it or nothing. This is just a kid who made this amazing film. So we had to go to one of our artists and we, uh, we, Shows not Wes for this one, but Steve Bama, who again in his own right is an amazing artist. And we said, Steve, make us a cover. And he, you know, uh, we went back and forth on it a little bit, and then he did. And he handed us the cover for Undertaker, and I really loved it. I thought it it did a good job of of, of uh, giving a feel for the movie, and. I knew the kid was never going to make any money off the movie. All I hope for is that he could take our Blu-ray and our DVD and say, look, this company in the U S put my movie out and they're kind of well known. Watch my movie, hire me to make movies. You know, that's what we're, we're hoping for. And I knew that. So I remembered when I told him we, we were officially doing the movie, I called him, he was in Japan and you know, he, he started crying. He was so happy. And then he told his director of photography and that guy started crying. They couldn't believe it. So I figured I got to go above and beyond. So I bought the canvas from the artist 
who made, I paid him for the cover, right? Then I went back. I said, I want to buy the oil painting you used for the cover. And I want you to ship it to the guy, the director in Japan. And we did. Nice. I, say, you, I, I think there was some more waterworks going on when that happened. I think there was <laughs> but, but, Tim, think about how satisfying that was for me. Right. Okay. Right, I'm right, basically right. a retired guy. I spent 30 years in the steel business and I did well for myself. So now I'm in this business to help one of my childhood friends, my, one of my best friend in my whole life. And, you know, my idea, my life doesn't depend on this business. So my idea was to take, to, to try and bring attention to, for young filmmakers who deserve it. And there I was, I, he, his dream was to have us out, put out his movie. I did it. I took it, I put it out. And then I gave him, I showed him that we believed in him the whole time, not the other way around. We already knew he believed in us. Right. And it was such a satisfying feeling to be able to truly feel like we helped someone. Did we ever help him? Did we help him? I don't know. I don't know. And I might never know. But I feel like I did everything I could for the guy. And that is tremendously gratifying on a personal basis. Right. For me and Don. Uh, Asylum, we did not talk about, but Asylum is not a horror film. It's horrifying what happens to the guy in the movie and stuff, but this movie looked like it didn't cost very much to make either, and it didn't need it didn't need a whole lot. It wasn't it was a familiar type of film, but it was done really well. I mean, I really did amazingly well. Yeah, I really did like and, it. And if I come back, we'll have to talk about. I want to talk about creep behind the camera, which is a story in itself. Oh yeah, that's but a good one. Me and my I, wife watched that one years ago. I love that movie. Let me yeah. wrap up this this segment. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit about Asylum, and then I'll let you go. Okay. But then we could do this again if you ever decide to, because, Tim, it seems like we got an awful lot to talk about. Yeah. I could go on for eight hours. Yeah, so, I could too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Asylum, I remember, you know, there was a, a director, Italian, I believe he's Italian. Forgive me if I'm a little off on this. Don is really the bibliophile, not me. His name was Poopy Avati. And he had just come out with a new movie. So Don gives me a note that says, hey, I heard this, these people in, I forgot where they were, they were in Europe so, somewhere, are uh, repping them and, and see if we could get a screener and maybe we'll do this movie. So I go, sure enough. So I get a hold of them and I say, please send us a screener of Poopy Avati's new movie. I forgot what the name was. So a few weeks later, I get an envelope and uh, Don is sitting across from me. It was at our old office. And I go, Oh shit. He goes, what is it? What's wrong? Do we get a bill? Do we get a summons? Do we get a, I go, no, we got the fucking movies. The guy sent us from wherever he goes, Oh, the poopy Avati movie. What are you saying? Oh shit for, I thought you wanted it. I said, he sent me a second one I didn't ask for. And you know me, I'm obsessive compulsive. I got to watch everything that's sent to me. I don't have time to watch the second one. Listen how stupid this name is. He goes, what's the name of it? I go, I want to be a gangster. I said, does that sound like the dumbest thing ever? What is this, a teen comedy? You know, from France? I mean, I, I need this like I need another asshole. Right. You know, <laughs> what, what the... 
you know, whatever. So I set it down and I take home the Poopy Avati movie. And I mean, watching that movie was like watching um, paint dry. It was, it was so slow and so boring. I was literally, it was an hour and 50 minutes and I was like climbing the walls. Fuck this. So I get back to my office the next day and I'm getting ready to write an email saying thanks, but no thanks. And then I see that I want to be a, a gangster. So I go, okay, I'm going to write this email in five minutes. Let me just throw this in for five seconds just to confirm what a piece of shit it is. I put it in. And of course, it's the opening scene where the two guys are playing Russian roulette and they're taking turns. Right, right. So I sit there and I'm watching and a minute goes by and I go, oh shit. And then another minute goes by. I go, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to (laughs) happen? And it's like, oh my God. And then you see what happens and you're watching the movie and then you see what happens. And then you're watching the movie and you go, oh my God, this movie's amazing. What the fuck? <laughs> this is again, it's like now's movie. 7000 this had an $8,000 budget. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it becomes evident in the second half of the movie because there's a, a, like one set for the rest of the movie. But there's no way this looks like an 8000 movie. The acting was as good as acting needs ever to be. The story was great. Remember, young filmmakers, the story was great. The beginning, the middle, and the end. And so I, I changed the email. This is now two hours later. And I say, yeah, not really interested in the Poopy Avati movie, but what can you tell me about I Want to Be a Gangster? The guy goes, well, it's available. No one's interested in it. I said, I'll take that one. He goes, really? I go, yeah. So I said, we were, we got a hold of the filmmaker and we said, you know, I really hate that title. I mean, the movie is so great and that title is so awful. He goes, well, we changed it to, I want to be a gangster. I said, what was it before? He goes, asylum. And I don't really see how exact, unless there's a weird French um, translation, I don't see how it applies to the film that much. But I thought it's a billion times better than I want to be a gangster. I want to be a gangster does not convey any of the horror that this movie has as part of it. Even though, like you said, it's not a horror film, not any more than The Godfather or Goodfellas. It's because at the end of the day, it's almost like a survival picture versus a gangster picture. Right. So... Like I said, we love the movie, and again, that's one that nobody ever buys, but I will tell people at a show, like I do with Undertaker and all the other ones, I'll say, buy this. If you don't like it, we'll be back here next year. Bring it back to me, and I'll exchange it for anything on the table if you don't want it. And no one has ever... No one has ever returned an indie to. And now let's listen to Rock and Rollson and myself discussing the recent Sonat Stones release of Jeff Lieberman's Satan's Little Helper.
We'd like to welcome back to the show our good pal uh, Synapse team member Road Warrior, Road Crew, and many other things here at Synapse Films. Ryan Rock'n'Rollson, Ryan Olson. Hello, Ryan. How you doing? <laughs> Hey man, what's going on, bud? Good to <laughs> but, talk to you again as always. <laughs> you too, you too. So, one of the newer movies uh, that we have here at Synapse that's been put out, little movie called Satan's Little Helper, uh, brought to us by Mr. Jeff Lieberman, the director of one of my favorite films, Squirm. It's a great flick. Yes, yeah, so 2004, we get Satan's Little Helper. It is an odd little film. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing at all. I like odd little films. But uh, I'm going to have you help me here, Ryan. Can you try to help me set this movie up? Just explain briefly what the hell it's about because it is quite a different, unique little film. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> like it's, like you said, it's, uh, you know, you, this little kid is obsessed with this video game. The video game is called Satan's Little Helper, uh -huh. and he's like obsessed with it. And he, you know, he wants to be Satan's little helper. And his his whole thing is he wants to go trick or treating and find Satan while he's trick or treating. And he also has to go with his sister, who he is convinced that he's going to marry one day. Which mm. you know how that. Uh, <laughs> is a focus point and there is just <laughs> it's great how they just kind of you know just throw the incest thing in there and they're like hey whatever <laughs> right. yeah there's a lot of permissiveness going on in this household let's just put it that way so oh yeah so so yeah so the kid he's really into this game he wants to find satan i guess to go trick-or-treating with and be like his little helper and yeah. uh Eventually, along the way, there the kid does find a Satan guy, a Satan character. Uh, but this guy is definitely not a happy-go-lucky video game character, is he? He is, he is, he is a killer. He is the real thing, and you know that almost immediately. They telegraph that this guy is really doing some damage here. He is dressed up. Uh, his look is very interesting. It's awesome. Yeah, but the, it's it, so awesome. Love it or hate it. That is a memorable mask that he has on. Oh, yeah. So this guy is dressed up in this like kind of a bulky outfit with the Satan mask on and stuff. He's killing yeah. people. And the little kid sees him, identifies him as a Satan from his video game. And he asks the guy, can I be your helper? And in a really cool little <laughs> moment, the Satan character nods his head yes. And we're off. We're off to the races at yeah. that point. So um, I well, guess, and of course, the kid yeah. thinks that you know everything is fake too. He right. doesn't. He's looking at it like when he sees, oh, it looks so real, and it's like, even though it is, he actually is, you know, this maniac killing people, and the kid, it's all he's all like delusional and <laughs> thinking, right. oh yeah, it's just, it's just a you know, it's a game, it's not real. Right, exactly. So yeah, I guess the other part of it too. Is that his sister, I guess, is what, coming home maybe from college? She's uh, going to college for acting. She's in, a, in an acting school, and she, you know, comes home for Halloween because it's a tradition that she goes with her with her brother and does that, so she doesn't want to disappoint him. And she comes back, but she surprises everyone by bringing this guy who is also in her acting class. And, you know, at first, the way he's kind of introduced, it seems like they're – 
you know, like boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, but then you find out it's like literally their first date, so to speak, which is a date, but she's unsure about, which is really kind of hilarious how murky that and that whole thing is, especially with some of the crazier things that happen as as the movie progresses. Yeah, (laughs) the relationships between the family and the boyfriend and the boyfriend's family are murky at best. Oh, yeah. Some of it's awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, but you know what? As we go on discussing that, I think that was the whole point of this movie, to be frank with you, is to be awkward and uncomfortable and make you uncomfortable in a way. Not yeah. that a horror film is supposed to make you feel all comfortable, you know, oh, no. but this has got a little extra kind of, <laughs> kind of, you know, to it. Um, so the kid, uh, he's not happy, though, that the boyfriend's there. He's a stinky poo boyfriend that's going to mess oh, yeah. up his Halloween. So. The well, kid. And he's supposed to marry his sister at some point, remember, right. too. So that's going to like even the mom goes, well, you're competition. <laughs> and yeah. she's all saying it like, like, oh, you're competition. Like, it's what it is, you know. <laughs> Nothing like a mom encouraging things like that. Um, it is Amanda Plummer. She's a little quirky, but I'm not sure she's that quirky, you know. As oh, a mom. she definitely brings some serious quirk to that role. Right. It's, it's really bizarre, like, how she. I mean, just everything about it, like how she, <laughs> you know, the costume that she dresses <laughs> the Catherine Winnick character up in, you know, Jenna. Right. It's just, it's like, well, I mean, not that I'm complaining, mind you, you know, because right, right. it's a heck of an outfit, but boy, oh boy. <laughs> she certainly celebrates her children's sexuality. I think it's probably one way of, of putting it. It's not afraid of it and actually makes well, and, them uncomfortable about it because she's well, so... And supposedly yeah. she wore that costume at one point, too. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. So she's this, very bohemian. Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. Exactly. That's a very good very good way of putting it. Um, so the kid the kid brings the Satan character back because he, he thinks the Satan character is going to scare off the boyfriend. And right. I don't think we have to go any further into discussing the plot to understand that's not going to go well, especially when this yeah. kid doesn't realize the Satan character is really some sort of maniac killer out there who's using Halloween as his cover with his get up yeah. on and stuff. And, you know, there's some interesting, interesting parts in the movie, too, where I guess it's a trope with this sort of film, but there's a lot of mistaken identity because a lot of people don't realize since it's Halloween uh, that yeah. whole who's behind the mask type of thing comes up a lot in the movie. There's a lot of mistaken yeah. identity. A lot of people think that the Satan character is actually the boyfriend at some points in the movie, uh, which makes for some interesting moments in writing and stuff like that. So that's yeah. sort of a little, there's a little preview of this movie and where we're going <laughs> to, where we're going to go with it, what it is and stuff. But uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a unique and interesting film as all of in my opinion, Jeff Lieberman's movies are. There's always a reason yeah. to watch them. You're never going to be like, it's never that. You might like him, you might not, no. but it's it's going to challenge you somehow. This is definitely a challenging film. Now, as always, I kind of start off from the beginning with these movies. Now, I think this time around, both of us kind of came across this movie probably around the same time in the same way. Uh, being yeah. it came out pretty much direct to video back yep. in 2004. I watched the movie. I'm pretty sure I rented the disc. Sounds like you had a similar story. So, well, my buddy Dave, you know, Dave, our Dave Kosanke, Dave Kosanke, the intrepid buddy and, you know, 
best friend of mine and all that stuff. Don't don't call him go spank me, whatever you do, unless you're Jerry Chandler. Right. Hello, Jerry, we missed you. <laughs> but yes, yes, that yeah, Dave he, goes he bought the disc when it came out, and uh, I was over went over to his place because back in the 2000s, that was like what I did. We would you know hang out at his place and watch movies and. You know, it was great, great mm-hmm. times all the time. And that was one of them. When he got it, it was, I was just like, whoa, what is this weird, wacky movie? And, you know, we watched it and we were just like, holy cow, what do we watch? You know, like it's, it, it's almost like a weird hyper reality. Like, I don't know. It's hard to explain because it's, it, I mean, it takes place on an island that isn't real. You know, I don't know. It's just everything just completely is wacky. Like there's so much nonsensical stuff that happens throughout the whole thing. Like none of the characters really do things that make sense right, in a lot right. of ways. And, you know, it's just it's it's weird how like the, the whole thing kind of devolves into this massive chaos because, you know, there's only so many cops. And then once the cops aren't there anymore, it's like everybody's just running ramshackle all over the place. Right, right. So <laughs> it's like almost turns into an apocalyptic, like kind of, uh, kind of uh, situation. <laughs> yeah. You got the exact same. Re- I had the exact same reaction when I saw it the first time. I'm like, what on earth is going on here? You know, it's, it is like an alternate universe. Where everybody yeah. acts ninety five percent like humans do, but there's that five percent that's pretty pretty important, and people are doing the strangest things. And the way as the movie goes on, the guy, the the Satan character, the killer, is is really indiscriminately just killing, 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 killing. Yeah. And he gets picked up by the cops, so he gets in the cop station, and he, and he he they don't show it, but he goes through that like. <laughs> he goes through that like the hitcher, basically, yeah. and just and just takes out the police station and the town, the island, if you will. It starts devolving. Yeah, because they know all the cops are gone, so they just uh, all of a sudden it's like ah, party time. Let's just loot, destroy, and run around and do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> right, and that is one of the things that really stuck out to me. How does this one guy in one night? turn a town from a happy Halloween town into a riot. And that's so bizarre to me. Like, it's just something that I just, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if I like it or if I don't like it, but what I can say is it's truly fascinating to me. It's different. Well, I think it's interesting too about how, like, when you look at the adults in the movie, in Satan's Little Helper, they're like, I don't know many adults outside of like, obviously our con growing con going family. And you know, those kinds of people that are so hardcore about celebrating, celebrating Halloween. I mean, at the castle where they had all these people and all this stuff, it was like, that was the biggest, like the, the big part of the town, the whole town was at this castle to have a Halloween party. And it just looked like a whole bunch of like normal people dressed up in costumes and you know, whatever, and like, it's just like, it's crazy how like almost like the whole town like stops so they could have this big Halloween party. It's almost like, where does that come from? Like, what, how did they, you know, <laughs> I guess in this reality, uh, Halloween is like the, the big, the big shebang because every, the whole town shut down so they can go to this castle and, uh, right. you know, have this big costume party. Right. Like my bloody Valentine in a way where like. 
that's the only town on the face of the earth that gets that excited about Valentine's Day, even if there was a massacre <laughs> at one point. The And I agree with you, too, how the, the characters are so strange. First of all, and I mean no disrespect or anything, but we're going to start off here with we're following this kid through this movie, this little kid. Now, I don't know about you, but I found the character, at least, of the, I'm not talking about the person himself, but the kid, like he wasn't a likable character to me. Am I... Am I wrong? Did you feel that way too? Well, I mean, I th- it wasn't so much that I think he's not likable. I think it's more the fact that the kid just had such an overwhelming and overbearing sense of imagination that he couldn't separate that reality that was established in the movie from even further wild fantasy. He didn't understand the the true gravity of, you know, Hey, I'm going to worship Satan and be his helper and call him master and do all this stuff. And the fact that you got to remember that he thinks that none of the stuff that's happening is actually happening. So when they're running around and with a shopping cart, hitting the pregnant girl and the, you know, knocking out the one with the baby in the carriage and doing all that stuff, he's laughing at glee because he thinks he's just scoring points. Like it's almost like a commentary on video games in the sense of how he's desensitized. He doesn't realize that this is really doing real damage in real, in his, the reality of the, in that reality. He thinks it's just a game that after they get, you know, go by, these people are going to get up again. The girl, the old woman that he sees hung over the house that, you know, I mean, he was even, those kids were horrified by it that were razzing them. And he's like, ah, it's fake. It's not real. I mean, he even teases them later. And he's like, oh, you guys actually thought that was real. Oh, oh you know, and he's, he thinks it's funny. He's like, oh, I'm going to poison their candy. But he's just, he just thinks it's like fake. He doesn't think it's really gonna, you know, like what happens with his dad. You know, I mean, that's when it kind of, all of a sudden he gets the reality check and goes, Oh, wait a minute here. (laughs) Hold the phone. This is, you told me this was just, we were just having fun. This is not, you know, so to me, that's where I can still have somewhat of a empathy towards him in that respect, because Mm -hmm. of the fact that, you know, he was just so like, you know, kind of lost in his head. I mean, he's a young kid, you know? And I mean, I, I know, how it is to be a young kid and like, you know, there was a point in my life where I wanted to be Voltron, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd run around and clasp my hands together and do the roars and all that goofy stuff, uh-huh. lift my feet. Like he doesn't look in the show, you know, thinking I was Voltron as uh-huh. a kid, you know uh-huh. I mean? So it's not a hard stretch for me to understand how he clearly isn't, you know, grasping reality versus the the imagination in his head. I mean, he's obviously got a very wild imagination, right. you know, and unfortunately it's also a very dark and twisted one too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is to me is like, as I'm watching this movie, I start thinking the only real likable character in the film, likable. I mean, as in someone that you can follow is doing like rational things and stuff like that. The only likable character is the boyfriend. And how rare is that, especially in a horror film? Huh. And, and that's my opinion. You know, when I'm watching, I'm thinking the boyfriend's really the kid. He's you feel sorry for him because his dad's kind of a shit. You know, yeah. and 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 he's you know he's he's trying to be cool to the little brother. But the little brother just doesn't want to have nothing to do with it. And he has no idea what's in store for him. The poor boyfriend doesn't. He's not, you know. And look, he's not. The sister is a little hot in the collar. (laughs) 
she she's a little uh, she's it's it's springtime uh, for her. You know, she she's wanting a boyfriend pretty bad. Let's put it that way. She's um, she's Randy. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? And and so she's kind of the aggressive guy on him a little bit as far as like like making out or something like that, you know. So he's not yeah. trying to force himself on anyone. Is if anything, this whole situation to me is getting forced on him and the little kid is the instigation of all of it. That's the way I kind of see the story more than anything. There's a, there's a lot of nonsensical stuff that happens. I mean, like, for example, even with the Satan character, he pretty much kills everybody that he comes across. The thing that oh, that kind of blows my mind is when I was watching it is like, well, why didn't he completely kill the boyfriend the first time? You know, right. I mean, it's like, or did he think he did? You know, I mean, I, I don't even know. It's hard to know. Yeah, I I don't know. It just felt like he like, it just kind of felt like it's like, how did you not finish the job right away? I mean, it, you know, everybody else was clearly done for. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you could say this movie is loaded with uh, Italianisms to it. And the fact that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that don't doesn't make a lot of sense at all. And and it's also like you know you you watch it and you're just like there's no way that these people would think and do a lot of the stuff that they do. I mean it really is very nonsensical. But that's where like I said it kind of like it's almost like he creates this alternate reality where you're scratching your head and you're going what the fuck. But at the same time <laughs> right. you're just like yeah okay I, I guess you just kind of have to. Just go along with the ride. You know what? I think the movie's satire. And satire is so difficult. It's so difficult. Oh, yeah. It's so it's hard on audiences. It's hard to do. Um, it's got a wicked, sadistic sense of humor, almost as if the Desaad himself wrote it. Does that make sense? I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. wicked. It really is. And Marky Desaad was known as being wicked and unflinching with a really coarse sense of humor. And yeah, it's it definitely. is going through this movie in your yeah. face. Yeah. Well, I mean, Lieberman definitely doesn't hold back, and that's part of what makes it that's what makes it entertaining and wild is that it's like, yeah, you're sitting there scratching your head and going, "What the heck?" And you know, your your normal brain's going, "This doesn't make sense. This is crazy." I mean, why is it? You know, but you're still fascinated. You're still sucked in. You want to see what's going to happen. You. The, this character is so compelling, in my opinion, the Satan character, is that you want to see how it's all going to play out. You want to, you know, are they going to reveal what's under the mask? You know, are they all those things like you're you want to see you you're kind of you're sucked in. You're you're still, you know, signed up for the ride in right. terms of that. Right. Um, you know, it's like you said, I think that, you know, Lieberman obviously has a big part with that because. It is such an oddball, quirky movie, but it is like how all of his movies are. Like you said, you know, they're all kind of this exist in their own kind of world, unique weirdness type thing, you right, know? Right. And this movie does that. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think that he hasn't made a movie since. Yeah. And like, yeah. you almost could do something with a sequel with that character because, I mean, it's definitely got such a, like you said, an iconic and memorable look that it would be not too hard to kind of turn it into into a, a franchise character, possibly, you know? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. You know, his films, they, like you were saying too, they definitely all have an alternate reality you don't know whether to laugh, shriek, or give his movie side eyes. 
I'm, I think it's a compliment for coming from me at least. I like oh, to be agreed. challenged. I like to be, yeah. uh, not, I don't want to be challenged like direct. Like I don't like some movies, like I kind of roll my eyes at that are just like, say gross for gross sake without any yeah. kind of story or something. That's not what we're talking about here. This has a lot of gore for sure. And a lot of grossness yeah. and, it, and it definitely invites you to turn away quite a few times, but it also invites you to turn away or look away for other normal things that have nothing to do with gore, like the strange relationship between the family and the, you know, and everything. <laughs> and and, and it, it just, it gets right to that edge of not being tasteful whatsoever. Yeah. It doesn't quite go all the way over it though. So it's, it's kind of playing with you a little bit. The movie is. And so you're yeah. kind of on edge. And some of that suspense for me wasn't necessarily the horror suspense. It was the suspenses. Where is this going to lead? Where is that going to go? Okay, good, good. <laughs> you're kind of like, oh, yeah. boy, what was that? Oh, that was kind of odd and stuff, you know. And, it, you know, to me, it's like one of those movies that's kind of giving you the middle finger a little bit, but also winking at you. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a duality, the film is, in a way. I like the way it pushes my buttons. You know, I like yeah. what it's doing. And it's doing it. And it's not doing it in a salacious way, but it's doing it in like if somebody plays a joke on you and it's one you can laugh with them. It's like Lieberman's yeah. kind of playing a joke on the audience. And if you're one of the audience members that that gets that humor and can take the joke, it's going to work better for you. I think you've actually met him a couple. I have not had the pleasure yet of ever meeting him, but uh, he seems like the kind of guy that would definitely be the kind of guy that could give you the middle finger and a wink at the same time. Exactly. Oh yeah. He's absolutely that guy. I mean, uh, you know, I, not that I'm, you know, I've only met him a couple times at cinema wasteland. I mean, he was at the last one in October uh -huh. when we unveiled the Satan's little helper disc, he was there uh -huh. and he was right. You know, his table was right by ours and all that stuff. You know, he'd come over and, uh, buy the table every once in a while or, you know, whatever and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you know, he's, he definitely is that kind of dude where it's like, yeah, he, he could definitely give you the finger and <laughs> wink at you at the same time type right. of thing. I mean, I think that's like a perfect, uh, that's like a perfect description in terms of that. He even says in his, uh, in uh, one of the extras too, about how of all my movies, this one is the most me. I think what's cool about it is that, like, for instance, when I start off saying the kid was unlikable, you clearly didn't get that from from that. And I think that's part of the trick of this movie is that I'm getting I'm probably reflecting my own self back off of this movie in a way where it's not it's not holding your hand, telling you what to feel about these people. Yeah, you just are. You end up feeling the way you kind of would in real life. You know, like I just the kid was unlikable to me. It was like he was like syrupy almost, but in a saccharine kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, it just didn't seem, he seemed crazier than the killer to me. Like, he seemed more off to me than the killer. That's what I was getting out of it. I kind of can relate to the kid with the wild imagination and, you know, all that stuff. Because I was always a kid that had a really wild imagination. I was always drawn to monsters and dark side of life and all that kind of stuff. And fascinated by those things. And, you know, just maybe it's just me relating to it from that past you know i mean yes the kid is kind of annoying in some respects i understand that but right. i i mean like i said it's more he kind of exists in his own little world and like you know i mean it's there's some kind of a weird dynamic within that family that's uh that's something i mean it just doesn't seem like everything's like right you know mm -hmm. like clearly they're 
you know, the mom and the daughter get along and they have a decent relationship and all that, but it, it just seems like something within the family dynamic is just not all there. Right. You know, and this kid, his way of coping with it is kind of losing himself in the video game and in this fantasy world and doing all that stuff. It kind of was like his way of, of dealing with it. If that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just interesting to me how different, a different personality or someone with different life experiences has a different bounce back off of this movie. Look, I, I might be yeah. overanalyzing a little horror film here, but it was making me like, stop kid, stop. You know, it's almost like, yeah. And, and the boyfriend of me was trying to be nice to the kid. Yeah, and that's oh, yeah. what made me think this guy's actually sympathetic. I didn't have a ton of sympathy for the kid because he was kind of the instigator of the whole thing, be it even if he didn't know it or not. The, the part that the part that I think takes me away from being sympathetic to the kid is the part you were talking about where they were in the grocery cart and they were running people over and babies were flying and stuff, and he was encouraging it. And I, yeah. I was like, look. I don't care if I'm eight years old or not. I know if I'm in a if I'm in a shopping cart and I run over a lady with the baby that maybe this is going too far. Like that's that was what I was thinking. Like I just couldn't I couldn't identify anymore with this kid who had gone that far. And if he had gone that far, I kind of thought, boy, is this killer more of an extension of this kid of his imagination than anything? It really got me thinking a lot. It's kind of what I enjoy about this movie. To be honest with you, it gets me and I, thinking. I can totally understand that. I totally mm-hmm. understand what you're saying, you know, where that. But I just think that, again, the whole movie is such a weird alternate reality where most things don't make sense. And a lot of the way the characters react to stuff doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, when they first kind of realize that he, you know, that this dude in the mask is not who they thought it was and what he's capable of, and they see firsthand what he's capable of, you know, you would think their first thing to do would be to run, hide, get out of the house, leave, do all this, just get as far away as they can. But no, they don't. They stand there and they debate and they talk and, you know, like... You know, the, the Jenna character is sometimes almost paralyzed with fear, but at the same time, she, you know, the fight instinct doesn't really, or the flight doesn't really kick in. Right. It just kind of is like, okay, what are you going to do? And then the decisions that they make, you know, like where she, all of a sudden they realize, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, well, you just stay here and we're going to lock you in and leave you and this and that. It's like, you don't know for sure that the killer's not still there. You right, don't know, right. you know, all that they're just kind of like a lot of the decisions that they make are really like, it just doesn't make any sense. And that's, I guess we're like with the kid, I get the, to me, it just felt like he's, you know, he's just got this, he's so lost in the fantasy aspect of it. And that's where I look at it as it's more of an innocent thing on his part, because clearly there is that moment where he realizes that, holy crap, this isn't just a game. It's not a joke. This is not, you know, I mean, he even says to him, he says, you told me nobody's really getting hurt would really get hurt. You know, mm-hmm, right. like that whole, like he rationalizes everything within his head and comes up with this, you know, these false narratives that are not really there until it's slammed home in his face that, Hey, this isn't a joke. It's really happening. Right. And that's where then the kid goes, Oh, and I mean, you see how he completely changes his tune and he starts, you know, <laughs> right, right. praying to God and doing all that stuff and asking for, 
you know, protection and, and, but he still keeps that same mentality that he has when he was, you know, looking up to Satan and wanting to be his, you know, his servant. He says he, he applies the same logical thinking and actions to the other side when he goes to it, as he did with Satan. He's like, Oh, well, I can find Jesus. Cause he's going to be walking around wearing a mask or God, he says, you know? Right. And then it's like, he keeps rationalizing. I mean, even the, with the policeman, why isn't he saying anything? Well, because he don't want this, doesn't want the Satan guy to hear him, you know? Right. Or like he says to, to God, you don't have to talk. Right. And you know, just like he said to Satan, you don't have to talk. Right. Right. And that, you know, it's like, he he never kind of loses that weird fantasy world that he's in. It just kind of shifts focus. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So to me, that's where it kind of comes across as an innocent thing. I understand in our world and our reality that, you know, a kid that age would definitely you think is going to know the difference, right. obviously. But this is not the world that Lieberman's created because nobody in that world is doing things that make sense and that are rational and that are like the types of things that all of us normal humans would do, you right, know, right. I mean, nobody is doing it. You mean like all the people you see, even all the crazy people at the castle party. I mean, they're just, it's like, are these real people? I mean, it's like, what the heck is going on with these people? It's like, they're all, they're all off. Like every one of them, they, they all have something off, you know? And it's also almost like a commentary on people sticking their head in the sand and not looking yeah. at what's right in front of them. And I get some of that. Sure. I think, I think part of it for me, like I said, is that, is that parking lot scene where the kid is encouraging everything, I think threw me off because when he, when he sees the Satan character, he starts going around town with them and everything, everything about that, I kind of, I, I kind of get, I kind of see, I kind of, th- but then when that happens, I start losing the weight. This kid is, this kid might be as messed up as the, <laughs> as the, the, and I mean that not like he's the same messed up, but as messed up. Like this kid is so into his fantasy world that reality doesn't, I guess maybe we're sort of meeting in the mind there, you know, where I'm seeing well, yeah, it. You, know, you got to remember, right. he keeps counting off points every right, time. So right. he's still in his mind, it's the video game. You know, it's a video game. He, oh, there's that points. Oh, I got that many points for for that. You know, and that's what he keeps doing. And it's not until he sees what happens with his dad, and it's like, oh, this isn't a game. This is that's when he finally sna- kind of snaps out of it and realizes that, oh, hey, wait a minute here, it's not a joke. This right. is. You know, because, I mean, you don't really see the aftermath of what's going on with the other stuff. I mean, you just see the person fly back and fall. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, oh, that person's just going to get up and they're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like not like he sees a gory mess. Like, we, it's not like when they hit him with the cart, they explode in a shower of gore and blood. Right, right. But what I found interesting was that it seemed like the movie was commenting that these games would would do this to this kid, and yet we're 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 working here in a genre that for decades has been accused of doing the exact same thing to kids, you know, screwing right. up their minds and stuff. Right. So I was, yeah, I'm lost in in the in the narrative or not narrative, but what in the I don't want to say it's trying to clearly it's trying to say something, you know, but I'm kind of lost in what it's saying. It's telling me it's telling I me agree. a lot of it's telling me a lot of conflicting things. And it's exactly. one of the things that keeps me drawn to it, though, the same way. And it's like, it's not a movie you love. It's a movie that challenges you. I'm not saying that you can't love it. I'm saying that 
regardless whether or not you really are drawn and enjoy this film or if you don't really dig it, it's going to challenge you. You're going to get something out of it by watching it. You're not going to forget it. No. You don't forget the name no. of the movie. And no. you just, it's unforgettable. And that is unique in modern films, in my opinion. And maybe because it challenges you in a way that isn't throwing gore in your face all the time. It, it, it isn't throwing everything at you, but it's throwing little pieces of everything at you when you're not expecting it. You know, and I'm, I mean, yeah. if, if Jeff Lehman's listening to this, he's probably thinking, you idiot, I just sat down and wrote this movie that was kind of a non-PC kind of, but <laughs> hey, I'm getting all this out of it, man. I really think there's a lot of layers to this that even if they were unintentional, to me, they're there. And I'm really fascinated by the fact that we've had different, we got different things out of the characters and some of those dynamics in such a stark way, you know, to know that. Because to me, it was like hook, line, and sinker. The kid isn't likable. Nobody's really likable in this movie because they're doing stupid things. And so to yeah. me, in a horror film, when you're doing things that are like nonsensical, you're not really, <laughs> come on, man, what are you doing here? You know, like that kind of makes you into a, a character that's a, a, a non-likable, maybe non-identifiable to me or something. You know, maybe it's a different word. But the boyfriend to me was always doing something that you would imagine you would do. I mean, to me, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be unattracted to the girl. So I would want to date her, right? I would want to, she is, and then she was Randy for the guy. So I'm going to, I'm going to be nice to even the little brother to make sure that she knows I'm a good guy because I really like this girl and she's Randy for me. And I like Randy good looking girls when they're Randy for me. That's great. I really enjoy that. So I'm, I'm into all this. What the kid's doing, I got nothing. <laughs> what the mom's doing, I'm a way more strict parent than that. The dad, <laughs> the dad just pops in and he's done. You know, like he's almost there as yeah. a cameo just to get, you know, ice, just to kind of switch the tone of the film, which I do appreciate. Right. It does switch the tone. It yeah. definitely does. There's different, there's different acts in this movie. There's the, and, and they're kind of edited together. There's the, the trick or treating part where the, where the, the, the Satan character and the kid are kind of getting to know each other. There's the, there's the insanity going on in the town. And then there's, there's the smaller part of the film and the more horror part, which is what's going on inside the family home when that killer is there and these parts, right. these parts all kind of play a different role in the, yeah. in the story, but the way they're cobbled together is like a bizarre puzzle. Well, it is. And you know, it, it really, and the best thing, one thing that I think is kind of cool about it that I do appreciate is even though it can be frustrating, it's also kind of cool that doesn't, it, it doesn't have to feel the need to explain everything and wrap it up all nice in a perfect little bow. And, you know, spell it all out for you so you don't have to use your brain. You can just right. sit there like a drooling zombie and, you know, <laughs> right. uh, uh, right. you, you know, whatever. Right. I like the fact that it actually doesn't do that. It doesn't necessarily do everything you would expect. And that, to me, is kind of cool or it is a cool element of the movie. Right, right. And we're definitely I mean, on the same page there. That that I think whether it's yeah. whether it's good or not is definitely in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I myself enjoyed the challenging aspect of it yep. and the you know how it is such a you know <laughs> it's so weird and you know just offbeat and like I said, it's kind of you know what what Jeff does so to speak, you know, with his stuff. I don't know. I mean, is it the best movie you've ever seen? No, of course not. It's not, but it's definitely you know, worth watching. And I thought it was, you know, again, I revisiting it again, it was just like, man, it's such a wild movie that it's like, 
you, you sit there and you think about it afterwards, like what the hell? <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the thing. No, I, I mean, and I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Everything you're just saying right there too. And I think that although we're getting different things off of it, your reaction to how you're feeling, I'm perfectly, I'm exactly the same way. I, I want to be challenged. I want to be, I don't want to watch the same old boring thing where I'm looking at my clock or something. Like, oh, geez, how long is this yeah. movie? What are we going and, and, you know, you think about other films he's done, Squirm, Just Before Dawn, Blue Sunshine. They're all yeah. really quirky, they're really all different. They're unique. And very challenging to watch, yeah. too. They're all unique. They're yes. all, you know, interesting for what they do. And they all have like their own kind of unique voice to them, you right. know? Exactly. And they all are well liked. I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, I, most times when you hear people talk about, I mean, yes, to get, there are people that are not fans of stuff too, but you know, it's like <clears throat> each movie's got its fan base. Each movie has people that, that do like it and champion it, you know? So when this one's no different than the other ones, I mean, it's really a shame that, he hasn't made more movies, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, I know he's done a lot of writing and uh, screenplays. No, he's doing like well for himself. Things. It's a shame for us yeah. not to have more of his movies because right. It's I'm, just unfortunate yeah. that we don't, we, that there's not more movies out there. I mean, it's like, man, you know, I mean, you think about it, we're going on almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Since Satan's little helpers out. I mean, that's, a long time. <laughs> right. He's one of the few filmmakers, if he still put out a movie today, I would be really interested to see it. I can't say yeah. that about anybody. I mean anybody. I don't care if it's David Lynch. I don't care if it's John Carpenter. I, I just don't care. I mean, very maybe David Cronenberg, I'd still care. But a lot of these like filmmakers when we were growing up that were making this cool, I don't care. They can put something out. It's not... I might watch it and be surprised and like it. I'm not saying that. I'm, what I'm saying is I'd be very interested in watching something that he would put out again because of the challenging things he's done that he's thrown me off balance. Every time I've watched one of the damn, them damn movies, they've thrown me off, and I like it. I appreciate the fact that I'm being challenged and I'm watching. It's almost like movies made for people who watch a lot of movies. Yeah. Because we watch a lot of movies, and we're fascinated by this thing, you can tell. Oh, yeah. Well, it was interesting, too, a couple of things that were in the uh, the extras that were, I thought were really interesting. One was the fact that part of this, and it kind of helps to, like, we're talking about the strangeness of this, but what helps, too, is, you know, he kind of, he has a commentary in video games, obviously. He he gets the idea from people, kids writing, the kids actually wrote letters to Santa Claus, and then he got this idea, well, what if you would read them to Satan? But the other thing, too, is that he, I think at his 50th birthday party, somebody showed up, he had a costume party, and somebody showed up in a girl outfit or something. And so yeah. he thought it was his jerk-off friend, this jerk that he knew, you know, so he's like, yeah, jerks are always good in the, you know, the, the costumes, because they can get away <laughs> with stuff, this and that. And he said, so he was goofing off with this guy all night, like it was his buddy, and then he looked over across the room and his buddy was standing there. And then he had no idea who this gorilla guy was. Come to find out it was like a, a singing telegram or a gorilla gram type of weird thing. Point being, <laughs> he lived that he lived that terror, I know, for one second. Where he's like, uh-oh, who is this? Now yeah. I don't know who this is. Now I don't know how to act with this person. I'm having fun with someone I have no idea who it is. And that, I think, is kind of, if you get those things and roll them up, you get the idea of this movie here a little bit. And I kind of appreciate mm -hmm. that the stuff he threw in, it was just, it was insanity, but so is Jeff Liebman. You know, the other cool thing real, real quick too. I thought it was very cool as, as, and I, I actually like this in a person, but as kind of fun and cantankerous as he is and kind of like, 
you know, doesn't mince words. You can tell that, like I said, I've never met him, but I've, I've seen him talk and you can tell that he'll say what he thinks and stuff. Apparently he handled that kid really good on set and was really good with them. And that's not easy for a, a cranky old dude, like maybe myself to do, but he was yeah. really good uh, from all accounts yeah. with that kid. And I, I didn't hear one cast or crew person say anything like he wasn't anything but yeah. a good director. I mean, you know, you don't hear anything. I think that is that makes me feel good. It's sort of oh, like yeah. when you meet some people at a convention from a movie you like and you find out that cast is actually friends in real life now, it makes you feel good. You feel yeah. like, ah, these people are genuinely nice people. They like each other. I like yeah. that, you know. And it's cool to find out this director that you like a lot no matter how he presents himself, is actually, you know, from what you can tell, good with his actors, good with even kids. Yeah. I do like the movie because of the challenges, and I do like the movie because it's memorable. And I like it because it's a Jeff Lieberman movie. It's not I, yeah. It's not my favorite movie that he did, but it's definitely, I think, my opinion, it's the most challenging one he's done, and that's saying something. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, as always, too, the, uh, you know, the, the disc and everything has done really well. Uh, the movie was shot digitally, so I'm not really sure how much restoration you do on that. That's Don's department, of course, you know, um, yeah. and everything. There's some, there's, some weird, uh, there's some weird moments in it that it looks like it's inherent to the source. You know, it looks like it's inherent. But yeah. otherwise, you know, it, it's, it's cool to see this re-released in such a nice, you know, package and everything. I'm proud that we put it out, even though I didn't really do anything except we're talking about it here. But you know, you also gotta think too that at that time that was pretty cutting edge as far as, you know, doing that the way that they were shooting it and doing oh, yeah. that stuff too. So that was you know, some of that was also interesting that they, you know, were kind of on the cutting edge of things. And I mean it has held up pretty well too. I mean, looking at it now, yeah, you know, all these years later, it still holds up pretty good and it still looks, you know, good. It's not like it's, you know, I mean, it's not like it looked horrible in the beginning because it was digital. So it was much more, I mean, I even remember my memory of the DVD was that it looked good. I mean, it was right. very clear and you know, right. all that stuff as well. So, I mean, that definitely, you know, it's not like uh, you're doing a, Tombs of the Blind Dead type thing or something. Right, where it's exactly. Like a, right, right. You know. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those nice extras on there and the disc looks great. And, I mean, it's just a fun little weird movie, you know, right. something that, like, you know, add to the list of movies to watch around Halloween or something, you oh, know, absolutely. or something like that, you know. Absolutely, it's, uh, yeah. 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 I, I mean, you've so. got, got that striking character. I mean, it's definitely, it really makes, you know, it makes for a very memorable experience with that too right right and there is a commentary on it with jeff lieberman now i i think admittedly neither uh reiner and myself have had a chance yet to listen to that that's something i go to later later on down the you road know, i, I like actually do intend to go back and watch that and listen to it because watching the film this last time too i was like man i'd really be curious to see what he has to say about a lot of the different scenarios and situations and just see if maybe he gives insight into what he was thinking or the motivation or, right. you know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, uh, I definitely want to revisit it and watch it with the commentary because I'm curious to see, like I said, if he, you know, maybe gives more insight and things that, you know, maybe we weren't even thinking of right. that he was, which like you said, it's kind of cool that we both had such 
different experiences viewing it too that you know that's that's to me an interesting sign of a pretty good film is something like that where you know you different people get different stuff out of it right you know and we, we we agree on the main points of it being challenging but there's different things challenging our challenging us you know we don't yeah. have the same things that are doing it so and and matter of fact uh, i agree with you about going back and listen i'm not a commentary guy but i i this one I'm going to go back because after I get done with this episode, with this show, and I edit together and put it all together and listen to our conversation quite a few more times, I'm going to go back and listen and see how close were we. You know, like, like what did we pick up on that, you know, that he's talking about on this and stuff, too, because I'm, I am curious to know where are we really off base? Where are we reading things that maybe he would be fascinated by, you yeah. know, in this movie and stuff like that? Maybe we'll like have that. to do a part two. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, all right. Well, uh, again, you can uh, find Satan's Little Helper at synapsefilms.com and at the table where professional salesmen like yourself and our good friend Sean and Dave Kosanke and your lovely wife Jen uh, will be standing in front of non salesman people like myself and Angie who are cheering you guys on. Uh, but this is definitely. <laughs> Where it's like you said, n- things aren't forced down your throat. Things aren't spoon fed to you. You ha- they're not spelled out for you. You have to kind of yeah. look at things for what they are. And I do like that. I am an old David Lynch fan. I am an old you know movies that were a little more challenging. And this harkens back to that kind of you know not right in your face. I'm not going to hold your hand through the story. You're going to figure it out for yourself. And good luck. You know, but yeah. enjoyable though for guys like us, especially movie guys, love these kinds of movies. Well, I mean, they even talk about the possibility of, of another sequel. And, you know, he said he's only got or of a sequel, I should say, not another. Hmm. But um, he even says that he's like, you know, I've gotten so far with, you know, certain ideas and things like that. And I mean, I like the one effects guy. He he had a whole like idea mapped out about, you know, the about what could have what where things went after that fact. And it's like, you know, I would be curious to see that. I would love to see what happened after where the movie leaves us. Right. You know, I mean, it would be, it is one of those things where it's like, but you'd have to take it somewhere, you know, different. You couldn't just do the same thing again because that wouldn't be good. But if it was Jeff doing it, I have full faith that he would definitely take it somewhere else and not just retread and make the same movie again. Right. You know? Agreed. Yep. Um, It's interesting. I don't think he's done a sequel, has he? Isn't all, all of his movies know. could beg for one, but you know, I don't think there's a squirm too, or well, like that yeah, or yeah, you're so, right, but, yeah, but, you're you know, right. So it's yeah. but they're so unique. Who who's gonna do that? But uh, all right, well, Ryan, uh, let's get out of here. It was good talking to you, and it was good uh, discussing uh, such an interesting, challenging movie with you. So um, yeah, man, always always good to uh, chat, and uh, as always, thanks for having me on, and. Uh, it was a fun one, as usual. Definitely. Good stuff. It was a challenge for sure, yeah. So, All right, well, we will see you and your lovely wife, Jen, here hopefully sooner than later, but we'll be talking to you real soon again on the show, talking about... Yeah, we got Astronomicon coming up here in March, so that's oh, going to be right. the first one of the year. I'll be I'll be uh, manning the table at that one. And, uh, what are the dates on that? Wasteland. That's pretty close, uh, right? Um, I think it's the first weekend of March, so okay. it's, uh, what is it, 3rd, 4th, and 5th? Is that what it is? I think you might be right, yeah. So we went to that last year, really enjoyed it, but uh, Angie is out of the country on business 
during that time. So unfortunately, oh. we're not going to make that one. I think we are going to go to the Motor Legacy show oh, okay. up in up in your di- direction, up in your area, up there in the in the Michigan yeah. area. Yeah. So uh, uh, we'll be at Wasteland, I think. Uh, but that one, we might just be the coming to as civilians one day or something. I guess we'll see. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I know we're going to hang out at Flashback, and uh, Synapse is always there as well. So we'll have fun and. Our buddy Kosanki will be there as well. Usually, at least he's there. So I'm hoping to see him again at that show. So uh, good times, good times. All right, Ryan, uh, we will speak to you next time. And thanks again for sitting down chatting about Satan's Little Helper. Thanks a lot, bud. Cheers. Once again, thank you very much, Ryan, for discussing Satan's Little Helper. You can find Ryan and his lovely wife, Jen, along with Sean and Dave Kosanke, and a great cast of other people at the conventions at the Synapse Films table. So remember, if you're at one of the conventions we are at, come on by and say hello and let us know what you think about the podcast. You can also email me at tim at synapsefilms.com. Tim at synapsefilms.com. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Any suggestions, questions, or questions for Don and Jerry that I could forward along and possibly read back on the show, or at least I'll get back to you with an answer directly via email. It was an honor and a pleasure to be your tour guide on this journey into all things Synapse Films. Until we meet again, be safe, be good to each other, and be right back here next time for the next episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Synapse Films Podcast. We couldn't be here without you, the fans. So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for your continuing support of Synapse Films. I'm tired of being sad.